探さないで」
Hey everybody! Welcome back to Ornate Stairwells. I'm Autumn. I'm joined as always by Nia. Hi, I'm Neve. We just recorded the worst non-homophobia zone we've ever done, where I'm just kind of like, ooh, ooh, for a little bit. It's fine. We're we're podcast mode now. <laughs> it's podcast time. This is a movie podcast. We watch movies. This week we watched a Yakuza movie. Big fucking surprise there. Nia, tell me about the thing you were texting me about today that I was deliberately not asking you about. I assume it is a Yakuza movie, but I guess no, I don't know. No, it's not. Huh, that's it's surprising. That your descriptions really made me think it was a Yakuza movie. Um, should I check out the descriptions that I sent you? Yeah, please do. So the name of the movie, just before we go into this, for, in case anyone has seen this, uh, which I presume nobody has, just looking at Letterboxd. I presume you're one of the 12 people on planet Earth who's seen this movie. There's 25 reviews on Letterboxd, so uh, more than that. Eerily but. close. <laughs> um... All right. Uh, pff, I gotta find where it is, but it's called. We be texting too much. Zeki, Florian, and Kelly. Um. So I said uh, that I was watching a movie. Um. I did a quote from the movie, which is, "When I die, eat my body. My protein will circulate in your blood, and then finally, I will see through your eyes." Um. Then I said, uh, "LMAO, he has a fake dick that might be a bomb." With a question mark. Uh, then this movie has strong, big fan of Terry Yamashuji vibes, but in a weird late 90s way. Uh, then Yuki and Linda, pretty gay with it. Uh, and then after I finished, uh, I said, Letterboxd review, like, did Anna watch this? And I'm just like, they're all watching Terry Yamashuji. It all goes back to that motherfucker. <laughs> uh, anyway, it was a very Neve movie. Like, the way I watched Liquid Sky, and I'm just like, I have such an affinity for this kind of 90s punk delusionment. Okay, so not much Yakuza in there. I think maybe I just, I was at work and I registered, you're watching a Japanese movie. Probably a yeah. Yakuza movie. Um, so, the, I guess to, to give a little more context. So this is by uh, director Yamaoka Nobutaka. Um, apparently, like, all of his films are hard to find. Um, this one I found on Rare Film M. Uh, it's from 1997. Uh, just like big Japanese punk in the, the like mid to late nineties vibe mm -hmm. in this film. Um, the, the main character that you follow along, uh, who gives her name as Rika, but also at one point says that that's a lie and she never got to give her real name. Um, but, uh, she's just in like volume one of Nana, like there's the, this one point where Nana's wearing this like black and white striped sweater that's like a little bit worn mm -hmm. um it's like she's like working at a bookstore or whatever that's like exactly what the the main character looks like <laughs> it's just you know kind of messy black hair uh uh striped shirt on like sweatshirt or not sweatshirt sweater um just like extremely a, a type of punk there's like a sort of skinhead character mm. named k just the letter k mm -hmm. um None of the characters in this movie explicitly have the names Zeki, Florian, or Kelly. But there is a K, which could per perhaps be Kelly. That's good, though. <clears throat> so the basic premise of this movie. So it starts with the main character, which we'll call Rico, because that's the only name she gives. Um, and she's talking about how, like, she's done something where she's going to die now. She's like committing suicide and she's done this 57 times before. 
And at first you're like, oh, is she like attempted multiple times? But then she talks about how when you die, your life flashes before your eyes, which means at the end of it, you would get to the moment where you are, where your life flashes before your eyes, and then your life flashes before your eyes again. Mm. And so then you were in the cycle of your life flashing before your eyes. Yeah, yeah. And as that keeps happening, you begin to no longer care about, like, you know what's going to happen next. You are there and someone's talking to you as your life is flashing before your eyes and you know what they're going to say next. And instead you become interested in like these other things. Movie itself is like very of a certain kind of uh, 90s film student vibe. Sure. Uh, lots of people doing like vaguely poetic, vaguely philosophical talking to each other uh, with like a handheld camera while they're riding in a van. Okay. Okay. That kind of stuff. I can picture this. And so when you get to the actual, like, moment, and basically all of it is supposed to be October 8th, although at some point a character will try to assert that it's October 9th, and then she keeps saying October 8th. Um, but, like, it starts where uh, she comes across, like, this group of terrorists and basically just, like, immediately gets brought into the group, and they're supposed to plant a, a cake quote unquote, that is like a bomb and like a cake box. Okay. <laughs> and in some location. Um and presumably they're like have been told to like blow up a nuclear power plant, but also they're like talking about other places that they could put it and like why. Um and so in the car there's like in the front seat, um the th I forget the the person who's driving Oh, so the person who's driving, you never get his name. Uh, he's the first person who, like, dies within the story and does not come back. Everybody else, like, recurs and comes back in some way. Uh-huh. Um, then, uh, on the other front seat is a, a very butch woman, and because you don't really clearly see her face, and she is, like, kind of, like, seems to be dating the girl in the back and like is painting the girl's nails and she's like reaching them up and everything. And again, it's just like very butch. It kind of just seems like a young guy. Like even when like you see her leaving the, the van at first, it mm. like, it's not until like later those two characters are alone together that you're like, wait a minute, these are lesbians. Um, but that's Yuki, uh, who's in the front seat. And then Linda who's writing in the back. Linda's the far more femme one. She's got like a very like 90 sort of fashion vibe. Um, and then also in the back is Kay, mm -hmm. who is sort of the skinhead guy who's like, um, you know, the really like hardcore radical, like really wants to like make a, a scene with like whatever the bomb is that they do and everything. Okay. Um, and then stuff just goes sideways. So like the, the two lesbians break off at a certain point. Then they get to this clearing and the guy who's driving is trying to kill Kay. Uh, but then Kay, like they're wrestling and then like, uh, Rico like murders the guy with the, the, the driver with a boulder. But then accidentally or intentionally, it's unclear, also injects Kay with poison. And then like Kay is like maybe dying and is in and out. And okay. then, and then they have sex in the field. Okay. Uh, or they're they're going to they're like making out and they're going to and then he's like realizing that he's like poison poisoned and so he's trying to get back to the van and then she like comes and keeps trying to have sex and then is trying to go down on him and realizes that he has a fake dick and like unscrews it and there's like a fuse inside 
Um, so anyway, this all is like seemingly linear, uh-huh. but as it as it continues, it begins to like break down where characters who have died come up again. Um, there are things where it's like it seems like Rico and Kay are going to try to like commit suicide on the train tracks while Yuki and Linda are riding the train, but then suddenly they're all on the train together, but Kay is dead from the poison and they're like, what's going on? Like the, you know, Yuki and, and, uh, Linda. So there's just like, what it ends up amounting to is like, if you wanted to like have a, how do you resolve all of this? It's like, all of them actually like the bomb exploded and they all died and they're all going through this process of like reliving them. Yeah. Doing these flashbacks and reliving their memories and now like crossing into each other. There's also this like premise of, cause there's so much stuff of like, um, you know, she will like, there's a part before everything that happens with like the death, uh, everybody's still in the van where like Rico, like asks, Kay, do you have a knife? And he, like, pulls it out, and then she, like, immediately, like, cuts his cheek and then, like, licks the blood. So there's also this whole thing of, like, consuming the proteins or whatever, and then you can, like, understand the person if you, like, eat the dead person. But then towards the very end, there's a part where, like, Yuki and Linda are kind of, like, maybe breaking up, like, fighting throughout a Mm -hmm. a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so then there's this part where, like, towards the end, one of them tries to eat the other, but then is, like, you actually lied. Like, I still can't understand this other person. Uh, there's like fear that like, even in death, like you still don't get any sort of greater understanding about other people. Um, so yeah, a lot of it just ends up being this like deeply disillusioned about like life and the world and like what, what, uh, you know, like a certain kind of end of history, but where you're like just stuck in an eternal cycle of reincarnation almost. Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought it was, like, very, like, especially once it, like, got weirder and, like, it it took on more of a dream logic where also, like, the cake in one part seems to actually be a bomb that someone tries to, like, stop it from exploding. And another part, like, Kay opens the box and there's a real cake in there. But then there's a part where he was talking about, like, when he killed Rico and then he, they, it was on her birthday and there was a cake and he couldn't like bear to eat the cake then that he got for her birthday because he like killed her or whatever. And so then it rotted. So then he like sees the cake and he's like immediately eating it. Uh-huh. Um, so there's also like a lot of things that like, like the cake that have like various stories attached to it. Um, okay. There's this whole recurring thing about like, uh, SIDS, like sudden infant death syndrome, mm-hmm. and it being like uh, babies like yearning for the womb and not liking being in the world and then just like willing themselves to like <laughs> go back into the cycle. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. And then she like wants to die so that she can just spread that everywhere so that everyone's always doing this. It, it's a very <laughs> weird movie, but like, you know, it's more just crunchy about like the themes that it's talking about. Okay. Um, where I'm sure there are people who could like get really weird about trying to so- solve the like kind of sci-fi puzzle of it or whatever, but it, that's not what the movie's interested in. It's not primer. All. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just like everybody has like extremely, you know, 
to to some degree or another 90s punk vibes uh just big i have a gen x streak in me um i go ape for this shit you know (laughs) (laughs) um so and that's why we'll be covering the filmography of kevin smith this year (laughs) um he's not punk though that's a different that's different that's a different gen x yeah um that hamlet movie that's my shit man that hamlet movie goes hard um, we should we should get around to doing that Soviet Hamlet movie or the other same director had a different um, like a King Lear or a Macbeth. I think it was King Lear. Yeah, I think it's King Lear. Or is there another king? Well, there's many kings in Shakespeare. Well, yeah, but I believe King Lear is the only one where it's king, king, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do that Soviet King Lear sometime yeah. this year. That would be fun. At some point, I want to watch. Uh, the rest is silence. Yeah, I really yeah. want to watch that one. Um, that's the German one, right? The German yeah. Hamlet. The, I might have seen that on Mystery Science Theater. There's a Hamlet they did for Mystery Science Theater. They wouldn't have done a German movie on MST3K. Yeah. Um, I mean it's on it's on the Plex server, so if you've seen it there. Well, well, I mean, like I might have seen it. I'm just going to Google MST3K Hamlet real quick, if you don't mind. I'm just going to... Okay. I don't know where my phone ran off to, so... Ah! MST3... 4. <laughs> Hamlet. Um, 1961. Um... do 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 the I mean, movie yeah. Hamlet film. Yeah. Um, I mean, this is not it. But... This is a German Hamlet, but yeah. not the rest is silence. Uh, Hamlet, Prince von Denmark. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I know the rest is silence is like more of a situating it in a modern. Mm-hmm. Um, setting. Um, well, I didn't watch any other movies this week. Um, oh, uh, stairs for Zeki, Florine, and Kelly. Um, F the at a certain point, it's no longer just, oh, you're just shooting all of this on a van, which is what it feels like at the beginning. And it gets better when it's not just you're shooting all of this on a van. Uh Um, but it is just like now you're in like a weird room or you're just walking down train tracks or, you know, there's not like stairs. They don't move through spaces in that way where you would have stairs. Sorry, that oof was because I popped my back real good. Like even when they are walking, they're just continuing like they're walking along tra- along train tracks is like you're just constantly in the same space. Like right in a, uh, a like movie, visual sense, a movie that needed some stairs was what you're saying. I don't know if it needed some stairs, but mm-hmm. it would have been nice if somebody, like, walked up some stairs at a pivotal moment and then, like, died and fell down them. Yeah. You know? That's all we're ever asking for. Yeah. Death and stairs. If you have a nice... Here's how to get, like, easy A, if not an S, from us, if any filmmakers are listening to this and want their stairs in the movie rated. Which is just have, like, a lot of dramatic stuff that's happening, and then... 
you have to find good looking stairs and mm-hmm. you have to shoot them nicely mm-hmm. and then have a character walk up those stairs to like face the tying together of all the themes mm-hmm. and then somebody dies and goes down the stairs. Yeah. It's easy. And then it's just, yeah, that's what we wanted. Just watch Pale Flower and then do that. Yeah. Did I? I think this was maybe before last time. I did watch a little, just specifically the gambling scenes of Pale Flower. Yeah, you mentioned yeah. this on the okay. last one. We we had a big log koi koi talk. Yeah. Um, not that they're playing koi koi in Pale Flower, yeah. but you you explained the rules to me in depth, and I was like, I I'm not understanding. Please yeah. stop. Yeah. And then you kept going. I think that came up in the non homophobia. Yeah. Uh, I did listen, and you weren't that clear that you wanted me to stop until the very end, where you just, like, cut me I off. felt like my face was saying it. I felt like I was trying to communicate that in a non-verbal way that the podcast listeners wouldn't be in on. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All I'm saying is I felt like it wasn't super, con- you know. All I'm saying is I like giving you shit. That's so true. Our main movie for this week is Nidaime Wa New Half. Yeah. I, I, I stutter. The Clan's Heir is a new half. The yeah. Clan's Heir is a new half. The correct way to translate yeah. that. It's, they translate it as the Clan's Heir is a trans woman. But there's a I, part of me that's just like, if you are going to be watching this low budget of a Japanese Yakuza movie, I think you know what new half me specifically one that's going to be about like yeah. trans people you just you know what new half means i have a a an, a similar opinion that is a little more comical in how much of a self parody i am perhaps in that i think cha- changing nidaimewa new half to the clan's heir as a trans woman is a little bit of cultural imperialism I just kind of, yeah. <laughs> I just kind of, th- in the in a way that we talked about on the um, funeral parade of roses episode, uh, that it feels inappropriate sometimes to try to put, um, like, current terminology uh, of transness onto, um, you know, another culture. Um, it sometimes there's some translation choices where I can hear the Japanese word and I'm like, this is an interesting choice you've made to translate it in pursuit of being sensitive. Now, what I will say is that the the subtitles we watched, at least, and it seems like maybe there's another subtitle track floating out there in the wilds, or maybe that is what we watched. There, they, they use the T-slur a lot, so it's not like completely, you yeah. know like sanitizing something for the sake of um uh uh sensitivity but i just i just think that like you need the specific you need the specificity of it in the same way that when they translate anaki into big brother in this movie i'm like you should have just kept that as uh, as anaki weirdly weirdly and this is going to kind of become our I guess kind of our guiding light for how we feel about the movie. I think you can count on the audience of this movie knowing what new half means more than you can count on what the audience of the, this movie knowing what Anaki means. Yeah. 
Um, Especially in the U.S. Where, in the U.S. specifically. Yeah. Where, where the people who are looking at these subtitles, you yeah. know. Um, uh, yeah. <clears throat> so, this movie, um, The Clan's Heir as a Trans Woman, came out in 2013. It is directed by Iza- Oz- Ozawa Hitoshi. Sorry, I stuttered Who also there. wrote it, and I would say stars in it. I would say he's the lead character. I would say he is the lead, yes. Yeah. Um... Ozawa is um, perhaps best known for being in Gozu, number of other bit roles in Yakuza movies. Um, a couple, I think, th- probably in the U.S. best known for being Kuze, and I think Yakuza Zero. Yes, he is a, a yeah. major, major character in Yakuza Zero. Um, to, major enough that even I, a person who has only really played about two hours of Yakuza in my life, knows about Kuze. You know, yeah. um. He gives a really fun performance in that game as well, yeah. I will say. From, he also, from the, like, cutscenes I saw. When I tweeted about this, because also Twitter, just the the shorter uh, nature of tweets mm. leans into this kind of jokey way of talking about things. There's, like, a meme that he got had so good once from a trans woman that he became an ally. Mm-hmm. Um that is like a, a extreme oversimplification. Uh, he was like in love with a woman for a while. Found out that he was trans. Was still in love with her. Like, uh, like sixteen years. Like, if she's in the city and visits, she still stays with him. Mm. Like, he just has an ongoing relationship, basically. Huh. Uh, with a trans woman. Oh, good for him. Um. So yeah, it, it, I'm sure that he also got had really good. I. But that's like tertiary yeah <laughs> it's more he has uh, a very extended relationship where he's in love with a trans woman it's not the same as no really um that michael douglas is that who i'm thinking of uh yeah michael who, douglas got can- throat cancer for eating too much pussy <laughs> yeah no em said that you didn't think that they didn't think that the too much was the problem <laughs> but i still think you the more you eat it, the probably the more you get exposed to the the thing. Sure. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so plot summary. Um. Oh, I want I wanted to do it this way, where you do a plot summary, and then I do a plot summary as the person who knows too fucking much about Yakuza movies. So. Okay. Um. So, quick ground rules. There's a couple characters in this movie. Um. I'm going to play fast and loose with, uh, there's one character who I remember her name and the others I will be referring to, uh, by character traits or actor name. So, um, Ozawa is the like second in command of the, um, what is it? Not the Honji clan. It's the other one. What's, do you remember the name of the clan? No. Okay. Well, Ozawa is the second in command of this Yakuza clan. They're kind of minor players um, in the in the city. Um, the, yeah, the the Honjo family is like a far yes more powerful family. Yes, um, their their uh, leader dies, and in his dying breath, he's like, "I want you to make my son the heir." This is a big controversy um, within the clan because. Um, the son was disowned some years ago for being transgender. Um, Ozawa, the chaser guy, and the lieutenant guy um, go to a um, new half show pub. 
Was that was that inappropriate for me to say that that way? Um, I mean, they do just say it in Japanese. Yeah. One of the it's things... more uh, doing the accent uh, yeah. that I feel was I, insensitive. I saw a TikTok once, and it is kind of true, of, like, Japanese has a lot of loan words, especially mm-hmm. from English, because, uh, you know... Empire. Yeah, empire. America occupied Japan yeah. for a long time. So um, it was. Yeah. Um, and also just like modern American globalism. Mm. Um, and so one of the problems with learning Japanese as a white person is sometimes in order to speak proper Japanese, especially if you're like talking in the language to Japanese people, you have to just say things like computer and you just feel like you're doing like a racist accent. Sure. But I feel like I was actually doing a racist accent there. (laughs) (laughs) I, I truly like, I feel like I need to take an L on, I should yeah. not have pronounced the thing in the way that I did. <laughs> but they do just say in English. Yes. Anyway, yeah. they go to a new half show pub. Um, they, um, and the chaser guy, he's a regular. He knows everybody there. Yeah. And um, he has realized that one of his favorite girls was um, the, the what, boss. What was her son. name? Nana Chan. I don't know why I can't remember that name. <laughs> We do need to go back and get the screenshot of, of Chaser Guy dying toward the end. He's got a bullet in his chest and he's screaming, Nana is the best! <laughs> Me all the time. I was going to try and find that, that screenshot to like include as the part of the promo tweet. <laughs> um, so um, they try to bring her, they try to bring Nana back into the family um, she's reluctant to do so. Meanwhile, the, is it the Honjo clan or the Honji clan? I thought it was the Honji clan. I thought it was Honjo. But I don't we'll know. go, we'll go with Honjo. Yeah. The Honjo clan is muscling independently. They're not really aware of what's going on with, um, our main characters. They're trying to muscle in on the show pub because it's part of this new, this this block they're trying to get for a real estate deal, deal to build train station. Surprise, surprise, Yakuza movies. Um, so, um, this is happening. That's like the B plot. The A plot is that they're trying to bring Nana into the family. And, um, after a couple of nights of going to the bar again and again, um, Nana and Ozawa have a big emotional moment um, you know, where they're talking under the stars and he's looking up at the moon and he's telling a story about his, his brother who transitioned and then died and they never really sort of reconciled their differences. Um, this is the highlight of the movie by a long shot, I think. Um, the, mm, no, it's not actually. I remember the other thing that happens at the end of the movie, Yeah, <laughs> but this is the early highlight of the movie. Um, and so because of this emotional moment and because of finding out that the financial troubles that the show pub is in, Nana asks um, her Yakuza family for help with this. Um, they they do it. They do it a very Yakuza way. There's a kidnapping. There's a, there's an interrogation. There's, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so because of this, they do save the show pub. But uh, Nana is kind of shunned from it because um, she doesn't want, like, the, the, the mom, the madam, 
The madam is the word I was looking for, and I landed on mom. <laughs> I think they all call her mama in the movie, yeah. maybe. Like, mama something something, like mama name. Yeah. Anyway, um, she doesn't want to be involved in this in this criminal lifestyle, so she, like, kind of shuns Nana, and so Nana more fully joins the family now, um, and there's sort of some bonding over, you know, when you're Yakta, you're an outcast from society, just like being trans makes you an outcast from society. There's a lot of cute family bonding moments, and then the Honjo clan retaliates for um, uh, the the this clan like um, what they did to save the show pub and um, the Honjo clan just has a lot more muscle to them and also one of their guys uh, one of one of these guys betrays um, his family to the Honjos because he's trying to move up in the world and he doesn't want to work for a trans woman Um all the main characters die, um, except for Nana, and there's a big climactic scene, you know, there's a big shootout at the office, and a bunch of guys die, and there's a bunch of goons, and then Ozawa, he was in a different spot because they thought they wanted, whatever. He goes to a bar that they've been frequenting through the movie that's also, like, the bartender's a trans woman, and he has her do him up in drag, and he takes, he gets a katana. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, it might not be a katana. It might be like, it's like a shorter one. I don't remember what the ninjato, or that, is that the word for it maybe? Anyway. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he, he gets the short sword and he goes into the Honjo clan and he like kills all of them in his, in his drag. Um, and then, uh, you flash forward to some months later and the clan is rebuilding um, with uh, Nana at the head and the the police have leaked these documents that they got uh, from the good guys about the Honjo clan and the Honjo clan is in ruins. Um, and that's the yeah. end of the movie. The lieutenant lives. Um, Blue- one other note too, and this, this is just, again, one of the reasons why I like Part of me just wishes that the subtitles just like did the different words. Because mm-hmm. I think the bartender, I, I don't, I didn't catch like exactly if a word was used, but seemed more like what would be like the Oyama, like the female impersonator, kind of like a drag mm-hmm. thing rather than like trans. Yeah. Because um, I, I, I there is that. also sort of this cultural like Onagata or like Oyama. Yeah, thing as well. That's like distinct from there's the bar half and yeah. There's the bartender in um, uh, Tokyo Godfathers that has sort of a different vibe than um, like the main character in Tokyo yeah. Godfathers. You know, yeah. um, yeah, and especially like sort of the bartender that's like this. Um, I feel like it's at least like a cultural trope of yeah. like the Oyama bartender. Mm-hmm. Um. So, I'm going to sort of do another synopsis, but mine is just, I've watched too many fucking Yakuza movies, and this is a, a basically a, a slightly subverted, or inverted at times, um, Ninkyoega, which Ninkyoega being, like, the really formulaic, um, you usually have, like, the clear, like, good Yakuza who struggle in some way against, like, the various duties that they have, um, and then you have, like, the very, like, obvious, like, evil, you know, yeah. like, battles without... A series that's trying to react in, in similar ways to this, but like 
in a different direction, subvert or stuff. But like ways that this deviates from the the Ninkyoega formula is like how there's a finger cutting scene in uh, Battles Without, but instead of it being really solemn and dramatic, it's like funny where the like finger flies off into the chicken coop uh-huh. and they're trying to find it, and then they like they give it to the boss, like you know the boss they're trying to appease, and it's been all like pecked by the chicken, and the boss looks at it and is like, "Oh, you don't need to do that. Like we don't do that stuff anymore." You know, <laughs> um, there's like some of the stuff where like it's laughing about the genre, but it's also just doing the genre trope parts. Yes. So I'm gonna run through things uh, again. We start with a deathbed scene. Now, deathbed scenes are where some major character is dying and uh, gives up like some sort of advice or uh-huh. whatever to various people surrounding him. Last will and testament. Um, and in this case, uh, this one we we understand when we get later into the film that more of that is happening than it seems because really all we see is like go find my my son and make him there, mm-hmm. right? Um. And as we go in, like, further into the film, we realize that this is both him expressing, like, some sort of regret over what happened, right? Um, like, let's bring my son back. I, like, feel bad about this in some way. Also that he knows about Ozawa, um, yeah, Ozawa's, like, character's family stuff. Mm-hmm. That's, like, a thing that comes up in the backstory. And so that's also this advice of, like, go do this and try and, like, get some resolution for this thing that I know has been troubling you. I didn't think um, about that, but yeah. It's so a classic deathbed scene. You get the the, the boss in particular sort yeah. of doing this stuff. Uh, you then go into, there's some like filler stuff in here, but you get an introduction scene. Mm. And often an introduction scene in the traditional Ninkyo Ega is going to be like this really elaborate, um, very like archaic kind of speech that they'll do as they go through the whole thing to introduce and it's like a wandering yakuza who will come to a family and will introduce themselves to the family and here we get it humorously inverted because we have the like wayward yakuza member who's going to come back to this family will later join the family sometimes the wandering yakuza will just remain like unaffiliated or they might be brought in Mm -hmm. but instead of getting this long rambling thing it's you know, I'm not a Chan or whatever. And then like, oh, and like says like whatever her, her old name was um, being like, oh, I'm the, the son. Right. So it's like humorous because it's like here we get it within this context of like yeah. you're you're at like a host club, basically. Right. Like the hostess comes over and is like, oh, here I am. So you get an introduction scene that way. Yeah. But it's still an introduction scene. Um, you then get the evil Oyabun's henchmen who come uh-huh. to, to rough up the local merchants. In this case, the owner of the new half show pub mm-hmm. um this one's just played completely straight the evil yeah. yakuza don't deviate at all yeah from ninkyo ega convention it's it's funny because we watch a lot of older yakuza films yeah and so it's funny to see the evil yakuza here who clearly just like just walked off from their day jobs at a toku show you yeah. know <laughs> <laughs> there's also this funny thing which we were commenting at, at the just, end where the, the they have the sharp jawline yeah. of a toku villain yeah uh it's also funny because the the evil oyabun um in like old older uh yakuza film convention has a little bit of that like flamboyant queer coding evilness mm-hmm. which then just makes it extra funny when it's like the good ones are yes. like the trans clan though yeah <laughs> um because yeah, there is a there is a way that he's a little faggy with it, he, which is just funny. He, 
His suit's a little too nice to be heterosexual. He's at least metrosexual. He's got well, he's got like the he's got like the pin he's got like the gray with the white pinstripes, right? Yeah. And he's got the, the sleeves, but then he rolls up the sleeves and there's like a nice pattern under there. I don't know what that yeah. pattern's called, but it's very like iconic pattern. You see it on ties a lot. Is it like a paisley? It's I think? like I think it's like a paisley, yeah. yeah. He's got like the paisley when he rolls up his sleeves. <coughs> but then he's also got a tie with a different pattern that complements the pattern on the sleeves, and you know he thought really hard about which watch to wear with this suit. Yeah. You know? Um, we then get a disclosure scene. A disclosure scene is one where a main character, or maybe the geisha, or, um, you know, <coughs> a, a main supporting character, like, you know, sort of the second to the main character, uh, will provide some backstory. This backstory is going to tie together, like, the obligations that people have, uh, sort of like the various themes that are going on. So of course we get this of like, like the disclosure scene will often end with a character as it does here saying, and I like pledge to, to die to like protect you or whatever. Right. Right. Um, exactly what happens here. Yeah. Um, an interesting note throughout this and all of these scenes so far, Nanachan has been filling the, archetypical role of the geisha right. the geisha being like sort of the sex worker that like you know one or multiple characters are in some way in love with this stuff's going to come up more later on too but um so after this like moving disclosure we get the cemetery scene cemetery scene is usually the protagonist going seeing someone who's died and then swearing revenge this one is where we start to get like a little bit of a shakeup of the dynamics here, where Nanachan gets to step into the protagonist role as the geisha character to go to look at her father's shrine, and it gets tied into like a little bit of this like trans people being disowned from their family, trying to seek some sort of resolution, mm-hmm. even if it's after death. But also in some ways, then seeking revenge, so, like making more of this decision. I'm going to join the family. Um, like I'm going to kind of start partaking in this to some extent, including relying on the Yakuza to then help, like, save the, the yeah. show pub. Yeah. So we then get the redeeming of the geisha. Another big trope in this is you'll have the part where the Yakuza will in some way pay or do something in order to free the geisha from, like, whatever bondage that's, like, keeping them at, you know, mm-hmm. the, the um, like... Whatever, wherever they're working. The subversion here being that, like, in doing... They're not trying to free her. They're trying to save the show pub. But the show pub is also yeah. the geisha now at this point. Yeah. Right? The, yeah. the show pub itself is the geisha that they're also trying to save. And so they're, like... And they're not purchasing it with money, which is a thing that would sometimes happen. But, like, through all of this, like, trickery, they're, you know, there's some good scenes around it where they're, like, figuring mm-hmm. out the plan to get the the uh documents and stuff so that they can like uh get the the deed and then give it to the the person who you know the the madam right um but it's also important in here that like in the redeeming of the geisha it does involve taking nanachan out of that space and into the space of the family and also that like 
when the the redeeming of the geisha happens, that love is never like consummated or is not allowed to persist. Mm-hmm. People will die as a result of the redeeming of the geisha, which is also happening here. Mm-hmm. You also get this the the entreaty, which is where often it will be like the geisha or a female character will go to the protagonist and sort of like beg them not to do this life anymore. Mm-hmm. Be like, you shouldn't be a part of this, which we get with the madam being like, I don't want to be tied up in this Yakuza stuff. Like, and mm-hmm. if you're going to do this, then like, I essentially, I have to disown you in this way, which mm-hmm. then you get like a sur- sort of reverse disowning as well. But yeah, um, I thought, I thought that scene, well, well, you finish your summary. Yeah. I'm- um, around this time, we start getting a lot of low comedy scenes. We've had a few already, but staple of Yakuza. Anytime you sort of need to fill a little space, just have some low comedy scenes where someone's getting hit with a bottle or, you know, that happens a lot. In yeah. this. Or you have like, you know, some sort of joke about poop or whatever. Yeah. You know, all happens tons in, in this. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's a little thing that you pepper through, especially as you like need to relieve some of the dramatic tension. Um, this then leads up to. The Blood Brother ritual, which of course here gets a little bit subverted in that, like, one, the, like, Nanachan is both the new initiate and the geisha has been like this, like, moving back and forth a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so is being brought in. And then there's also a little bit of a subversion in that, like, they then talk about, like, oh, we shouldn't say Anaki. I feel like it's a thing that's like a joke on, like, Ane, like, sister. Yeah. And then, like, key, and then there's some other word. I, I, yeah, I didn't, I don't, my, yeah. my vocabulary here wasn't quite enough to pick up on. It was a little bit more of, like, playing with the words than just saying, like, big sister. But Yeah, it was, like, anikase or something. But um, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I might have just said total gibberish. Yeah. It, it was, I think it was, like, ane key something. Yeah. 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 But anyway, um... So, uh, and then obviously this is also, like, the becoming a part of the Yakuza family, getting tied to, like, fan family when you're queer. Yes. It's also, like, a theme here, that it's mm-hmm. tying in with mm-hmm. it. Um, this stuff then leads up to, like, you know, there's various moments of violence that will happen throughout Yakuza movies, and that will begin to, like, culminate towards a big dramatic final fight, and we really start getting into that here. We have the reveal of the tattoo, which when we are watching... Because, like, he's in drag. Ozawa is in drag. And, like, goes and then immediately, like, takes off some of it and reveals, like, I'm a Yakuza. Which feels like revealing the whole, like, is this a disguise just to try and get closer in? Right. So you had this moment of, like, wait, what's the point of even doing it if you're, like, not going in disguise? Obviously, he, like, it He explains clear. it in a second, but... Yeah. But I instantly understood it because the reveal of the tattoo is the reveal of the deeper self. The tattoo represents something about you, your profession, your lot in life, the specific things that you are, the things that you do. Like to have the the tattoo on your back means significant things about like the person. And the reveal of the tattoo is I'm revealing this deeper part of myself as an initiation to fight, usually. Like, I'm showing you the tattoo, we are going to fight, and, like, I am showing you a deeper part of myself before I go into it, because this is serious. Mm -hmm. So going dressed in drag is also the, I'm showing you this deeper part of me, this, like, backstory that came up, and because often the tattoo might also be tied to whatever the confessional thing was earlier. 
So here we have the dragon tattoo, but then of course it's always tied. It's also tied to the drag. The drag and the tattoo are linked, like having to go out into the world, like being presented in some way as like visibly in drag or queer, being a thing similar to like the tattoo that labels you as outcast. Right. Is also what's happening. Right. Instantly when that happened, I knew everything else that was going on in the movie. Yeah. And I knew that we were also at the final fight. We've, we've supplanted the final song with the process of getting in drag and then, you know, seeing, walking through the streets in drag and then the final reveal of the whole drag. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the final, final battle, when all of the accumulated, like, tensions and obligations and themes get resolved and all tied together where, you know, here's my backstory, here's the stuff that's been going on with the geisha slash new initiate, uh, Nanachan, who... If you notice, I talk about within the structure of Ninkyo Ega. Never the boss. Yeah. Never once has Nanachan moved into the Oyabun, like the good Oyabun right. territory at all. So, um, but all of that stuff gets, you know, brought to a point and then we get like a little final ending of, and then here's how all of that brought down I, the, the bad Yakuza beyond just a bunch of them died. I really liked the bit at the end where, um, we do briefly see her in the Oyabun yes, position with yes. the, like all the new initiates, and they're doing like the cup ceremony. But like as a, like when you start, like there's a specific one where you have enough people that you can like declare yourself as like a new family. Basically, that's the ceremony that's happening at the end there. I really liked the bit um, where the last guy alive, not the head of the Honjo clan, but the like second in command, um, he <clears throat> Ozawa's character comes down um out of the building um he's like surrendering to the police last of the honjo clan like shoots him he dies police quarter him no one else can see this yakuza guy they can only see the cop and the 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 yakuza guy is like i surrender um arrest me and the, the the police guy like thinks for a moment and then shoots him anyway. And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, I don't want to root for you. You're a cop. Uh, good job exercising state violence against the guy I didn't like. <laughs> um, yeah. Um. Uh. So your 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 summary, I think, highlights. Kind of where I'm at with this movie. I gave it four stars in Letterboxd. I really, I really like this movie. I think there are a handful of really standout scenes. The drag bit at the end, the, the bit of the, the disclosure scene. Um, we haven't talked at all about, um, the, the scene of them, of Nana making curry for everybody yeah. and they, um, them all sharing a meal. Some of the low comedy stuff, like tracksuit one and tracksuit two, being like, "We can't let Nana clean; she's the boss." Yeah, you know, um, like there's a there's a couple really high quality moments that stand out, but a lot of the the connective tissue just feels like it's going through the beats. Yeah, and this that's not a complaint to me; it's just like, oh yeah, this is a good Yakuza movie. You know, yeah. I was a little like. I I had a good time watching this movie and I have like no other thoughts beyond that of like yeah. a couple standout scenes. The connective tissue is just kind of doing the tropes. It's not like 
in the the upper echelon of of Yakuza movie for me because like we've we've covered some like just truly transcendent Yakuza movies on this podcast, so this yeah. doesn't clear it, you know? <laughs> um, and also, like, a lot of those are transcendent because of the ways that they are, like... The the genre has all of these, like, uh, specific plot conventions that they are, like, specifically dialing into and, like, subverting in really intense ways. Yeah. Or, like, um, you know, part of, like, Tokyo Drifter is so incredible because all of those, like, tropes exist... In a way where, especially for familiar with Yakuza movies, you watch it and you don't really need any other information other than, oh, this scene's happening. I vaguely know what's going on. And you're like, you don't really have to pay attention to the plot at all at that point. Yeah. Because you immediately get the little trope bit of what's happening. And also, like, everybody is color coded as, like, what side they're on. Right. throughout that movie and stuff right that it frees you from having any concern about plot and in, like i truly think the intention is of the movie is like if you're paying attention to the plot of tokyo drifter stop it and, or, or <laughs> you know like dead or alive 2 a movie that drills down deep 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 on this one specific aspect of yakuza movies of yeah. like homoerotic um, Gozu, also a movie that's like deeply thinking about the homoeroticism of Yakuza movies. But the, the homoeroticism of, of, of the brotherly relationship yeah. specifically, of the like, are we brothers? Are we lovers? Um, and, and Dead or Alive 2, just like going deep into that until you get to the end of the movie where it goes so deep into it, it reaches the absurdity where they like, they can't die until they get to the place that the movie has appointed for them to die. And so they're like taking the ferry and eating the (laughs) sandwich. And then this movie, this movie is just a little more generic in the, in the like truest sense of the word of doing the genre. Yeah. And that's not a complaint at all. It just, it doesn't like, it doesn't clear a certain bar that I think this this podcast has set me up for for this genre. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, well, and so the other thing with me then, too, is, like, you look at reviews of this, and there's, like, all the stuff where... And I, I think some of it, too, is just reacting to, like, this movie is existing in a different cult- cultural context about, like, gender and transness and all of that. And so there's a way in which, like, so many movies, especially now... It would be about trans people, I think are like often too scared to say tranny or whatever, uh-huh. you know, are, are like overly concerned with like the good representation. And this movie is like a little bit messy in a way where, and, and for me, there's still a charm to it of like the movie starts with the energy of his pronouns are she, her, yeah. and then moves into the energy of those TikToks from the like chaser guy and his trans girlfriend where he's talking about like how the real manly thing is like to find all women attractive, including trans women. And like, you know, if you're having a little trouble keeping it up, like that night, like she's gone through the same experience before. She knows that just sometimes that happens. And like, <laughs> um, you know, it's so hot to like be dating a woman who like knows her way around a cock. Cause she's got one. Like, it just like has that intense energy at the end. Yeah. There's like this, there's this really intense, like chaser ally energy that is also just made endearing to me because the the like final conclusion of the film seems to be and a bunch of like cis people should just die to protect trans people yeah which there's something endearing to me 
But it's also not speaking to me at all about what it means for me to be a trans person yeah. in the way that like Funeral Parade of Roses does. It, it, it does. It feels like it is speaking to an experience of allyship. It, it feels like it's expe- it feels like there's not there's no planet on which like my mom and dad like this movie, but like but more because of genre reasons, yeah. more because of like my mom doesn't really watch movies with subtitles in them. Yeah. But like if the the arc of the movie because Ozawa is more of the main character than Nana, the arc of the movie is sort of this like um is about trying to understand trans people as a cis person rather yeah. than understanding oneself as a trans person. That's that's not a complaint, necessarily. Yeah. That's a perfectly fine thing for a movie to be about. But it doesn't me, make me then balk when I see some of the, like, letterbox, glowing letterbox reviews about the movie. Sure. You know? Yeah. And especially because, because I have this, like, uh, <clears throat> understanding of all of the, the genre tropes happening, and, like, the Ninkyo Ega being in my mind this like regressive genre that is about like uh really the the need to fit in with society and the the yakuza being the character that will be like the anti-hero that will do the thing that you want to do but you aren't actually going to do that and so like one there's this way that like like so much of what this movie is concerned with is here's this this like cultural figure of the yakuza that is an outcast and then here and is like sort of loved as this like outcast character in media and then here's like these actual outcasts in society currently mm-hmm. and like let's talk about how like actually like outcasts you know it's like trying to like find that similarity there mm-hmm. uh in a way that also feels very genuine from like Ozawa I think as like this guy who is a trans ally, but also is just like a Yakuza movie. Yeah. Like actor. Probably, probably like takes shit from his buddies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so there's like this way that also it feels genuine of like, Oh, here's this thing that I've done a bunch of is like Yakuza movies that are about outcasts. And he probably feels a little bit like an outcast. If you're typecast that much as a Yakuza, yeah. there's probably some amount to which like you are not fully fitting in with like normal expectations of Japanese society. O- Ozawa is not showing up in Toku in the same yeah. way. You know, like there's yeah. a there's a way that like the industry is going. Yeah. Um that like Ozawa there's no place for an actor like him in anime tokusatsu like young adult productions. Yeah. You know, he is he's fits into a an older style where there was more space for movies for adults, you know? Yeah. Um, which is a shift that we've we've seen in the US as well as in the Japanese industry. Yeah. You know? Um, um Yeah, and so like I, there, real, there's real, this real quick, tying into your outcast thing, I wanted to say something about the scene um with um the the madam shunning her from the I thought that I thought that scene was really, really, really good because it was doing the thing of like Yakuza are outcasts from society, um, trans people are outcasts from society. Ironically, by aligning herself with other outcasts, now she doesn't fit in with these outcasts, right? Yeah. I thought it was doing that really, really well. And and they're walking away, and as they're walking away, um, a voiceover is like, you 
uh, aligned yourself with us as outcasts in Yakuza, and now you're being outcast. Like, the voiceover, Ozawa explains the thing that we just saw play out in the yeah. scene, and I was like, you lost it. You overdid it. Yeah. But that's, the, that's kind of a charm point of the movie, yeah. is it's like, you already spelled it out, and you're spelling it out <laughs> again, yeah. even more plainly, has has a little bit ruined it, but also, like, I have, like, a little yeah. bit of a giggle smile. I'm like, yeah. oh, pat, pat, head on the head movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then I think also because it's so in, like, it has this core idea, but it's not really wanting to shake up all the times where it kind of inverts or subverts, like, the the tropes of the Ninkyo Ega, it's more for humor. You know, mm-hmm. um, Nanachan briefly doing an introduction scene is like sort of, it's a joke that like you're getting an introduction scene and you like can understand it as that happening within the genre tropes, but it's like, here's the geisha doing it at a, you know, uh, show pub. Um, a lot of the, the inversions are just inversions to like further this singular idea of like, oh, we're all outcasts. And so like. You know, we should, we should like band together more. Um, and because of that, like one, Nanachan is not allowed to be freed from, um, like the, the best that she gets in this movie is to move from the geisha to the new initiate. But throughout all of that, like situates her as a thing to be protected. Like mm, the, mm-hmm. both the geisha and the new, new initiate are archetypes that are protected that often might die. And so there's also the little bit of, like, everybody else dies so that she can live. Mm-hmm. That's also, like, a part of it that's, like, slightly changing how some of this stuff would go. Not always, though. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, so... It, it, it fits it, into the movie yeah. because it feels like the, the guys who we have are part of an old guard of Yakuza that are fading away. And so it feels appropriate that, like, she's protected because she's going to usher in the new generation. Yeah. But still within, like, the, the language of the genre... There is this way that she continues to be situated as, like, the defenseless thing that needs to be protected. Um, which is just, like, also its own way that allyship interacts with, like, the actual people who they're being an ally to. Mm-hmm. This movie sort of, like, continues to just persist in and not challenge in any way. Yeah. Um, like, even the part where she takes the knife and stabs a guy is, like, a thing that would just happen where... And, like, she is, like, trembling about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's, like, a thing that a new initiate might do, yeah. you know? Um, so, yeah, there... Like, all of that stuff, all the genre stuff, keeps it really firmly situated in this, like, allyship mode, which mm-hmm. is, like, fine and I find endearing. But, yeah, it just... It, I feel like it limits, like, some of the potential in here. Where yeah. if you, like, had something that was going to take more of the trans perspective... <laughs> could also like look more into um I think I think that's a good way of like subverting it. the genre itself and like messing with the genre rather than sticking to this like kind of conservative genre form. Um I think that's a good way of putting it of like there's a certain potential in this movie that is a little bit limited by the form of the movie. Um but one, just to, to reiterate again, I'm not saying any of this really as a complaint. I find a lot of this to be 
the charm points of the movie. Yeah. Like I I it's it's why the movie's four stars and not three stars. Yeah. There's just like, you know, for it to truly be uh, like on the next level, there's just like some other stuff that I would want from it that it just doesn't quite get to, you yeah. know? Um I really really like this movie. Yeah. <clears throat> also, yeah, it's I mean, 86 minutes. Yeah. Thank Christ for that. Um yeah, I enjoyed it. It's just and it, it's also this thing of like I respect it doing what it could with the the budget, um, but also like, I mean, I guess they had to pay for the film, but like, Zachy, Florian, and and Kelly probably was cheaper, mm-hmm. and is like far more ambitious in other ways. You know, like there's I, there's a way in which, um, I guess, I I enjoy this, but it's like very by the numbers. And sometimes I wanted it to be a little bit more ambitious or doing other things beyond this, like, one core idea. I had a good chat with Curly where I was I was balking on private Twitter about, like, oh, this movie seems a little overrated going on Letterboxd reviews. And, and Curly, um, a fan of this movie, was like, I feel better about overrating a movie that looks like it was made for $15. And I, I totally 100% sympathize with that opinion, with that take. I've been there. And my thought was, I'm like, my one of these that I've seen recently is Death Kappa, where Death Kappa is like a movie that I will like die for that partially because it was made for $15, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Because like Death Kappa has a lot going for it, considering how it doesn't have a lot going for it. Yeah. Um, um, I also, I think on balance, I like kaiju movies more than I like Yakuza movies. I love Yakuza movies, but... I love kaiju movies. I mean, the other, like, you look at the poster for this movie, and it's just trying to be, like, a 70s or, like, 60s yeah. Japanese yeah. Yakuza movie poster. With the red text and everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, do we know what we're watching next time? Um... I don't think we we have decided, but we we have our list of someday. Um, um, can you add something to the the list real quick? And I don't think this is what we're gonna do next. But could you add a uh, pickpockets, pickpocket, parentheses? I think it's called Xiao Yu. It's a it's just a guy's name. I want to say, but yeah. I want to distinguish it mostly from the Bresson film of the same name. Um. Yeah, it's the Brissol. Um, I just want to make sure I'm getting the. I I want to say it's X I A O Y U, but I don't know. 1997. Shao Wu. Shao Wu. There we go. We we don't need to do that next. I just remembered it today, yeah. and I really like that movie. And the only way we're gonna do it is if we do it for the podcast. So. Um, any of these jump out to you? Um, kind of Pegasus, but I feel like, um, they haven't covered it on a normal mapping, but it feels like so in the water over there that... Yeah. Um, throw down... What's Puppets Under the Starry Skies again? Um, Japanese, uh, art theater guild movie. Oh, um, oh, you know, I would love to do the Blue Angel. Okay. I was also looking at that, thinking we could maybe do that. I kind of, I truthfully skipped past all the movies that were in color on this list. I don't know. Not in color 
listeners, not in color, like, I was skipping movies that aren't in black and white, but, like, some of these cells are colored in the yeah. sheet, and some are not. Because we had these, like, planned out. Yeah, and, and my, my, yeah. my I just kind of skipped past them at a certain point. Uh, um, so, yeah, we'll do The Blue Angel, um, directed by Joseph von Sternberg uh, from 1930. This is a... Joseph. Joseph. Uh, Walter Benjamin... Joseph von Sternberg. <laughs> uh, 1930, just starring Marlena Dietrich. Um, Marlena Dietrich? Marlena De- Dietrich, yeah. Dietrich? Mar- Marlena Dietrich. Dietrich. Okay. Um, I know very little about this movie, except that you are a big fan of it, and Marlena Dietrich eats a apple with a knife. Um, not in and he's just sexually menacing to this dweeby professor for, like, the whole movie. It's great. Not in the way that... I've eaten apples with knives in my day, but that's not what I mean. What I Like, like when I say eat an apple with a knife, perhaps you are imagining slicing an apple. I have eaten an apple with a knife the way that she eats an apple with a knife in this movie because I watched this movie and I was like, God damn, that's a sexy way to eat an apple with a knife. <laughs> Nia, where can people find you online? You can find me at FoxBombNia on basically Twitter. I'm, I'm, any social media thing I'm on, it's FoxBombNia, but I'm not posting on like co-host and Blue Sky. Um, I, I am on Letterboxd vlogging stuff, but, um, go listen to my other podcasts, Ghost Divers. We are currently doing Nana. Um, those episodes have been good. Connor and I were just talking today about how, like, we are enjoying doing the Nana season. Um, we're having a lot of fun, and it's like, feels rewarding. It is also challenging in a way that we did not expect, which is just that, like, we sort of intentionally cover anime that is, like, based around, like, the core and season, like, mm-hmm. formats, mm-hmm. where you do, like, seven episodes, and you get, like, a, like, seven episodes will be, like, a, a, a self-contained sort of thing, mm. you know? You get to, like, 13, and that's, like, a full core, you know? Right. You do two episodes, and you've, like, basically gotten to a, a point where in some anime production timelines, like, they're not even going to have more of it for, like, you know, three months or a right. year. Yeah. Um, And so then you, like, can just talk about everything, and just, like, there's no way to break up a manga like Nana into... There, if I really tried, I could probably find, like, here's rough arcs, but it just is a constant going thing, which means that every chapter is always resolving something and setting something else up. This is this is why I felt so fine about taking, like, two years at this point to read Nana, because it's like, it's a soap opera, you know? Yeah. There's no beginning, middle, end, you know? Um... I still bet you've forgotten a lot of stuff from the beginning, though. That's fine. Um, I'm relaxed of it. You are yeah. not relaxed of it, but I am. Um, but yeah, and it just also means that, like, every time we go into record, we, like, spend way too long on, like, the first two chapters. What feels like way too long, we're like, oh, we really gotta go through, like, the next ones faster. And then we get to them, and we're like, we want to save some of the stuff for next time anyway. Like, mm-hmm. you know? Because, like, of course, just the structure of a long-running thing that's, like, continually pushing forward because it's just every month she comes out with a new one 
there's not like this production schedule where you, where you want to wrap stuff up because the, the manga is not going to be going for a year or whatever. Um, it just means that like, of course, the earlier chapters are going to be wrapping up more stuff that you've been talking about. And then you'll get to the later chapters and you'll be like, Oh, well, we can talk about this like more next time because like, it's just sort of setting some stuff up right now. But we especially hit that where we read 16 and like the, the last, or the first two in 16, volume 16. There's just so much shit that happens. And I was like, oh my God, because we have to do the Nobu bonus story too. Um, and then you get to the second two and you're like, this is all fucking set up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is like the, the stuff with the Christmas party and the like Nana's family and stuff. And you're like, none of this is doing anything. It's all setting up right now. You know, <clears throat> In, important stuff that is happening for big beats later on, but none of this is stuff that feels like we need to like, uh huh, talk about it in the, the upcoming episode. So. And it just feels like every episode has been this. This has just been the most extreme of it. But yeah, it's just been weird because it's just like, this is not what Ghost Divers normally is. So, Well, you can find me on Twitter at Autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host at Autumnal coffee no underscore where I'm having weirdly popular posts about Conan, the Barbarian, Conan the Sumerian. So anyway, you can also go listen to Around the Long Fire where... I thought you were done! You went so fucking long about Nana that I thought you were done! Where uh, Em and I have finished Nibelungen lead and we're about to start Beowulf. Um, uh, I saw your copy of Le Mort d'Arthur, uh, which you're reading after Beowulf. Um, that book is chonky. Yeah. I'm leaving it up to M to decide how we're breaking it up and how much of it we are reading. Because I don't think we're reading all of that. I I don't know if we are, but... It, seeing that book, though, did make me think of something that I genuinely never crossed my mind until now. I had, like, sort of an itch for, um... I think around the time Green Knight came out, I had, like, an itch to, like, get in... Because I didn't really like the Green Knight. I had a itch to like get into Arthuriana a little bit, um, and um, I was looking up like what books should I read to like learn about Arthuriana, you know? And it's kind of interesting because like one of the things that comes up a lot is the Once and Future King, the the T H White um, book slash series of books slash now it's just one book, you know? Yeah. And I did not really click with that in the, like, two chapters I read. It just didn't really... Wasn't what I was looking for. Partially because it's, like, updated to be in, like, the 19th century, I think. Right? Anyway. Um, the, there's one that I'm very interested in reading. Um, but, uh, the, uh, author is one of the worst humans who's ever lived. And so, not gonna be reading that. Um... Don't don't even want to say it. If you know, you know, and if you don't know, you're gonna be all right. Um, just never crossed my mind until I saw that. I could just read La Morte Arthur. Yeah. I could just I could just read the the classic. Yeah. You know, it just didn't cross my mind. So maybe I'll do that. Probably gonna read Beowulf first though. Would like to yeah. read Beowulf. Um, bro. You can also listen to Pondering Bhutan with Aji Shirataro. Are you still not done with plugs? Where we did the triptacular triptych, uh, which I forget the whole long thing that Connor said, but um, because Connor's getting married, we recorded three in a row uh, 
all three of those were recorded on the same night. We've never recorded more than one Puton on one night. Hmm. We've never done two in a row. We've definitely never done three. And uh, by the time we got to the third one, we were... Let me tell you, 90 minutes of recording Puton is a lot of just being in Puton. <laughs> so people can look forward to the conclusion of that one. Okay. That's that's a vibe. <laughs> when do when um, did those start rolling out? Relative to us right now, not to the listeners. Um, Tuesday. Okay. This past Tuesday. Okay, okay. So, for the listeners, if you're listening to this, when this comes out, I guess if you're listening in... Yeah, either way, Patreon or free feed. Um, there's one out, and there's like another one coming out tomorrow. Let me let me just uh, make this as clear as it can be. Um, so chapter ninety. Yeah, Twisted Brothers is the start of it. Ninety um, episodes of Puton. It's by chapter, so it's not ninety. Okay, because okay. there's sometimes where there's two chapters. Right, 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 right. Um, I'd have to actually look. Um. I don't I don't I don't subscribe to Puton on this phone yeah. because I subscribe to the Um here's the episode description for this one. Um in an odd little school was an odd little class with an odd little kid uh with an odd little mass. A stranger approached the electronic salesman and asked him how much the odd little kid weighed. The odd little man replied, All the phones in the store weigh exactly half of a pound plus half of that kid. Isn't that odd? How many pounds does an odd little kid weigh? Do you know the answer? No idea. Gotta turn the phone upside down to see the answer. Uh, Oh no, you stepped on him! (laughs) (laughs) Where does it say that? Oh no, you stepped... Oh my god, it says that. (laughs) And you do have to turn the phone upside down to read it. Um, Udon's great. Where can we find you? I already said. That's true. You did invade me doing my plugs to do your plugs as you always do. I didn't know you were still going. <laughs> you went on a tangent first. You rude asshole. Um, how are the stairs in the Diamond Wan By the way, uh, there's the part where he then goes up. They were bad until he went up the stairs in drag. He went up the stairs in drag, killing people, but we still don't get the f- stairs framed very well, I don't think. Yeah. You know? It's a stairwell scene, but it's, it's not like a stairwell an shot. I was thinking B+. Um, I think we can do an A-, because okay. like, he's like going up for the big final battle, and then like goes down and dies and stuff. Yeah, I just felt, I just felt like the shot wasn't there, even if the... the the scene was. Oh, we can do B plus. I'll give. I'll let you do B plus. Okay. I feel like sometimes I, I overrule you a lot with stairs. Do you? So. I, I feel. Know. I feel like I overrule okay. you a lot. So. Yeah. Um. I feel like our general dynamic is two people who just overrule each other quite a bit. Yeah. Like for example, when I'm trying to do plugs. Nanahachi is real. <laughs> Nanahachi is real.
this one already, but Mary Elda was eight years ago? Yeah. That's fucked up. Counterweight, that means Counterweight was almost ten years ago. We're coming up on it. Yeah. I don't know that I'm gonna get back into Friends at the Table. Um, I've been kind of in an actual play mood this week. Um... I well, I guess it's been kind of going on for a few weeks. It just kind of feels like this is the week where I don't really. I listen to a lot of podcasts, you know. Yeah, and I don't. It's not like a thing I like think about. Like if I'm going through and I'm catching up on, like, I caught up on like the last three or four episodes of Alf recently, and like that's not like a thing I'm thinking about. But actual play is like. It kind of stuck up on me this week where I'm like, oh, I've been listening to a lot of different actual play. I've been listening to some Eidolon playtest uh, starring Molly Rhinebeck and others. Um, I've been um, uh, watching some Dimension 20. I've been listening to some Friends of the Table. I started listening to Mary Elda specifically. I, w- I was typing in yeah. while you were talking and realized that you talked about listening to your girlfriend's podcast is saying like listening to some actual play by Molly Rhinebeck or whatever you said. Yeah. Yeah. I Eidolon starring Molly Rhinebeck and others. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there was just a part where my brain registered that you weren't saying the name of like, you know, some other like just person uh-huh you know you're talking about like critical role or whatever i was and not some critical role person i was not watching critical role you were watching a thing with matt mercer there dimension 20 had matt mercer on it but anyway you were just talking about it and you know like you talked to me about matt mercer in dimension 20 i <laughs> because i specifically I... said you didn't want to hear about it and then you immediately started talking about it right when i said that that was up for you Set me up. I wasn't going to talk about it. And then you were like, don't talk about it. And I'm like, well. So anyway, you were just saying that while I was typing. So I wasn't like fully registering everything. I was just like, oh, yeah. They're just like listing out names of stuff. Yeah. Like the various actual play. Uh And then it connected that you just said Molly Rhinebeck. And then I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) 
Um, I actually, I, I love the whole cast of Eidolon, but, um, I do have a favorite. Um, but yeah, I've just been, that's been like my main thing this week. And, um, I started listening to Marielda because I wanted to get some inspiration for Blades in the Dark. Um, not like, oh, you're gonna all become knowledge thieves or whatever. Just, you know, like, I don't know. Also, just to hear hear the game played again and just be like, okay, that's how that rule is supposed to work, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, some of that stuff is like when you don't know a system, you listen to it. And like I learn a little bit, but it it is different when you know the system. Yeah. Like I kind of vaguely knew Powered by the Apocalypse. I didn't really know the veil when they did uh, Twilight Mirage starting with the veil. After that, I did a campaign of the veil. It's like one of my favorite uh that's interesting tabletop games to run um that's interesting because i read the veil and did not like how it was set up but i only read it i didn't play it so um it definitely like what i like about it is the focus on like what is the emotion that your character is feeling mm-hmm. does in, in a way that like a lot of other sort of cyberpunky stuff doesn't put you into that space of a Blade Runner where it's just sort of like moody all the time, mm-hmm. you know? Okay. You are like constantly thinking about what are the emotion states of characters Okay. in a way that like that drives a lot of the fiction. Okay. That, that felt like a, a certain vein of cyberpunk stuff. Also like a ghost in the shell, like the movie sort of thing too, or like so much of like a ghost in the shell is like, Oh, we're like currently stuck in this, like, you know, high intensity action and then it will like sort of bottom out and then you'll be in like, you know, this weird like majors just depressed in bed right. part and stuff. Right. You know? Okay. Um, okay. Like it just has that feeling of like you hit the part of the movie where it's just fucking raining and they're just walking around in the rain for a while. Um just as like a way that the game is working because of the the like focus on that stuff. So Okay. Um I think it also kind of helped that I only had one character that was, like, really even built for combat, which means, one, there wasn't a lot of combat challenge stuff. And when it came up, it was, like, very intense, sudden violence, Mm -hmm. which I think also just, like, added to the the feel of, like, the game we were playing. That makes sense. Rather than, like, when I ran Dungeon World, you're having, like, more elaborate fights where it's like, okay, like, I'm going to push them over here and then this other person's going to do something or, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Even that's, like, you know, it's not at the level of, like, Dungeons and Dragons moving around miniatures, but it's like, oh, there's, like, more setting up things for other people in, like, combat, whereas I felt like the veil was just, like, combat didn't really happen much uh, the way that we played. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think it was a lot of fun to play, but I also understand that, like, if you're doing an actual play, maybe it's, maybe you want a little bit more combat. Mm-hmm. But there's, like, such a moment in Twilight Mirage where they're playing the veil, and I feel like there is sometimes combat happening, but it's just not, I don't think the game is built for combat in that way, or is, like, built for combat being, like, one of the key things, and then they switch over to whatever, was it Scum and Villainy that they did later? Is is either scum and villainy or beam saber? No, it would be yeah, sc- it it's scum, scum and villainy. villainy. Yeah, yeah. And when they switch over to scum and villainy, it's just like suddenly there's like an extended fight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm a big Twilight Mirage stan. I love that whole yeah. season, but I definitely I think it gets better when they switch to scum and villainy. 
Um, um, but I, I do, I do just love. That I really, season. I really love the veil stuff. But um, I do, I, I do love the veil stuff. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, I just think that like the switch to scum and villainy um gets them to stuff like <laughs> Grand Magnificent showing up at Thanksgiving. Yeah. <laughs> Grim Magnificent is such a king. <laughs> what a piece Every once in a while, I remember that. Um, oh, what's the actor's name? Now it's eluding me. Art. No, but the face cast for Grand. Oh, Grand I have no idea. I have no idea. Um. Oh, this is gonna. Uh, oh, I know he was the dad in Fresh Off the Boat. Oh yeah. Um. Why do you have to do a capture to Google shit? Because lately my laptop, I think it's just because I watch so much YouTube on my, my laptop. Mm-hmm. Randall Park. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Occasionally I remember that Grand Magnificent face cast is Randall Park when I think about, like, the Feast of Patina or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's at the very beginning where Grand Magnificent is kind of just, like, a humorous... Like a little bit of adult uh-huh. going around, uh, so easy to imagine Randall Park. Not mm-hmm. that Randall Park doesn't have the emotional range to do the like dramatic stuff at the end, but it feels a little bit more out of character, yeah, or like out of sure. the, out of the typecasting, yeah, of Randall Park, totally, totally. <laughs> um, Which then just makes it more delightful for me. I love Grand Magnificent so much. I also love Randall Park so much. <laughs> um. I was going to say something. I was going to say something else branching off from just listening to a lot of actual play. Not a, not a lot. I don't want to yeah. do like big RPG talk like we did last time. Yeah. You know, I mean, you were talking a little bit about like d- not knowing if you're going to get back into Friends of the Table. I've just continued to listen. But... I just I I fell off so many years ago now um, that it's like. Getting getting back into it, there's, like, decisions that have to be made. It's like, do I just get into the most recent season? Do I, you know, pick up during part of, like, midway through Partisan? Do I, like, listening to Marielda again is a low commitment thing. Maybe I'm just like, I'll follow this mood and re-listen to Twilight Mirage, because that's my favorite shit in the world, and then I just yeah. stop, you know? Like, and so, I, I'm just listening to, um... I'm just listening to, uh, fucking what's it, Mary Elder right now, and it, it also, just, it just hit me that it's, like, time keeps moving forward, um, yeah. there was a time where I wanted to get a, um, a, there's been a couple different Friends at the Table tattoos I've thought about getting over the years, um, and I never have. The, uh... The one I think about a lot is, um, the... From Winter and Hyron, my other, probably my second favorite season is Winter and Hyron, especially if you include Marielda in that, which I don't necessarily, but some people do. Yeah. But toward the end of Winter and Hyron, the the sword breaking and the water rushing out of it, um, yeah. that's a tattoo I think about a lot. Um, they recently did a, and it's like, there's some stuff that slightly ties into like the current Palisade stuff happening mm-hmm. but they did uh the first mission of the chime which i think was like some stretch goal for some charity thing they did but mm-hmm. they like finally got around to doing it um 
and there, so there's also this like weird experience of like because it just starts with the counterweight music um and so there's just like this weird intense nostalgia that i had like hit me but anytime i listen to counterweight i get the like really intense like i remember the like multiple places i've been while listening to this episode yeah because i've like yeah yeah um I, I, just by virtue of it being old and me, like, especially liking a lot of their sci fi stuff, especially, I think Counterweight's the one that I've listened to the most. Mm-hmm. Um, followed probably closely by Twilight Mirage, but like, occasionally, I just currently have, for, for the lark of it, the Onion, uh, like, method or whatever for listening to the, Oh, yeah, sure. Just in my, like, backlog of, which I have not been going through much, like, cause it used to be I would, run out of podcasts and then I've just listened to other stuff, but now I'm like, oh, well, I'm watching streams or whatever. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, yeah, I have that stuff in there, but, uh, yeah, so it's weird getting this, like, nostalgia hit of the counterweight theme where that'll happen and then they'll be talking and then I'll have, like, clear, like, oh, I was on the bus at the zoo or, like, you know. Yeah. Um, and then instead it just, like, they start talking and I'm like, oh, they're just different people now. Like, I just, like, became, That's, like, intensely aware that they're just... Yeah. Time has passed, and they're different people yes, now. Yes, That yeah. I... Like, Austin's voice just sounds different. That was... That's what hit me listening to, to Marielda. Like, his voice has a different tenor to it now yeah. than it than it did back then. Um, he sounds so young. It's he weird. He does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, uh, what was I going to say? I had a, I had a thought tied up in there it's weird when i think about i don't get sense memories for a ton of podcasts i get it abnormal mapping is a podcast i've listened to old episodes a bunch of times you know um and so i'll get like sense memories of that um it's funniest with counterweight and winter and highlight winter and hyron and twilight mirage because i was listening to those like marielda's 2016 that's my junior year of college, I want to say. Um, and so, uh, Counterweight, Winter and Hyron slash Marielda, and then Twilight Mirage, it's really funny knowing, like, I go from sophomore year in high school, or sophomore year in college, where I'm kind of sheltered, uh, or, or, or kind of insular, not sheltered, like, introverted, scared of being a person at all. Um, and so I'm just listening to counterweight all the time. And so my counterweight memories are like this, are are funnily enough, this like a whole bunch of different things I'm doing. Right. Yeah. And then by the time you get to twilight mirage, it's like, I become a more social person. And so all of my twilight mirage sense memories are tied to areas in dark souls one and two, because that was the only time where I was listening to it's like, as I got more outgoing, my, my twilight mirage, like my friends at the table memories become more not outgoing, you know? Yeah. Cause that's my one thing where I'm like shutting myself in and I'm just putting in my headphones and playing, I'm I'm in Dead Man's Wharf and I'm listening to um oh there's like a villain that got introduced when I was in Dead Man's Wharf and this is the one I always think about because there's a there's some villain who does a counterweight line and then Jack sprinkles in like a counterweight motif um 
into the music somewhere. Um, and that's just what always gets stuck in my head. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, sometimes weird the stuff that I, I have since. Mem- I do feel like I have less with like podcast stuff now, even if I went back and listened to it, because yeah. so much of it now is just like I'm at a desk job and I like drive the same commute. Yeah. Whereas like even when my commute was by train, there would still be like something different because like different passengers, yeah, the li- the sun's at a different spot in the sky. Yeah. Um yeah, just train commutes were like different. And also like in the way that you can kind of do when you commute by car, and even less so now that I have a kid, but like and like COVID and everything, but like I would just like take the train downtown to work. And then I get off of work and then maybe it would be like, oh, well, there's going to be a concert in Millennium Park. So we're just going to like, I'm just going to hang out downtown until like uh, Emily gets here. And then we're going to go into like Millennium Park and see the concert or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's also just more like wandering around the city I did back then. I, it, yeah, I didn't think about the COVID aspect of it, too, because yeah. that definitely probably factors in. Yeah, um, but also just when you're taking public transit a lot, there there's just places where you have to like take the bus and stop anyway, or the train and get off at a stop and walk or whatever. And I I feel like it like pushed me more to just like do other things. Whereas like when you just have like there's a car in the parking lot at work, and then I drive it to the little tiny, like very small parking lot that I have back behind my my place. Mm-hmm. Everybody else has garages, and we have like the spot. Yeah. And yeah. Every time you drive in, it's just like every sensor on the car is like, beep, beep, beep. <laughs> You're too close to a wall. I, um, the other day I came over here to give you a volume of Nana and I, I parked right next to your spot. And I was like, this was a mistake. I might ha- need to have Nia come out here and help me get out of this fucking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's another spot that sometimes like, our upstairs neighbors and stuff will like have a friend over and park there. Mm-hmm. I feel like you usually just park on the street, which is what people are supposed to do. I that typ- spot is like basically there for if the maintenance guy comes. I typically park on the street. This one time, I was like, "Well, I'm just walking in and giving her a book, and it's 30 yeah. degrees outside." You know. Oh. Um. Oh, I I let you down. I have not read any Nana this week. Yeah. I was pretty busy this week. Yeah. Um. Sort of. I guess I took yesterday off, but I was still pretty busy yesterday. Yeah. Um, we were doing wife things. I was doing wife things. We spent too much money on D&D books. That's what we did. Well, it sounds like you. It was It was fine. Plural I, you. You plural. Yeah. I had a really... In, 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 like, to an extent I don't want to talk about it on the podcast, I had a really fucking awful day on Wednesday, and then I don't remember why I started talking about this. Um... You didn't read Nana, because, I mean, also... Oh, yeah, the, yeah. The one thing, maybe, with Wednesday is, due to construction outside your place, you had to drive into the office. Yeah, on when Yeah, that's the, the, the one thing I will say, is that, like, I started my day on Wednesday working from home, and then 30 minutes into my day was forced due to unannounced construction that shut off our water for, like, 36 hours. They'll shut off our water for, like, five hours... Then turned it back on, but it was running brown and black for a little while. But also, like, <clears throat> Monday I was feeling down, and then Tuesday I was feeling much better because we sort of addressed some of the stuff that was having me feeling down on Monday. 
then Thursday was off, and then Friday. The week just got away from me. Like, today is the one day where I could have read Nana, and instead I had to read the book for Coffee and Comic Books, which I'm very excited about. So, But you did betray me. I did betray you. Yeah. Yeah, kind of a non, kind of a boring non-homophobia zone. I kind of feel I'm in a weird spot right now, where I feel like I actually I had a really bad week in a lot of ways, really bad two weeks maybe in a lot of ways, but I'm actually feeling like mentally, like I'm in a better state of mind than I have been. You know, I'm like, yeah. I'm like having a lot of problems but i feel more aware of them and more aware of like okay i need to you know like do some more exercise cuz i don't feel like i exist in a body very often you know yeah <laughs> things like that um this is yeah. such a weird casual com- this is not a podcast at all i'm just kind of rambling i feel like alf is often the thing where i do more mountain hall stuff but Mm-hmm. I mean, I had I was without Adderall for a week, mm-hmm. um, and let me tell you, you like stop Adderall when you've been on it for a little bit, you get the like executive function mm-hmm. dropout. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've started also taking um, Stratera. I I like had a appointment with my psych lined up, so I just asked about it because I was like, can I do both of these at the same time? Like, can we try it? Um, I won't feel effects for like at least a month when we're going to like do a follow up anyway. Um, but there's also just been this thing of like, Oh, my sleep is slightly different, but also around this time I ran out of melatonin and I was like, you know, you're not really supposed to take melatonin every night. It was mm-hmm. like a period where I was just doing that. Um, I should just see if I can like sleep normally. So maybe that's just the reason why I'm like sleeping slightly different or that's also a side effect of Stratera. So, um, and then there's this issue with my inhaler that thankfully lasted less time than I thought. I was without it was like an three inhaler. Days, right? Um it was pretty quick that I got the inhaler. Um but the time when I didn't have the inhaler did coincide with one of the days where I would like have more ability to like get on the bike or the like treadmill Ugh. or whatever. Um, and then you're not going to because Yeah, because I'm it's just breathing's gonna suck. Um so, I'm just yeah. doing a text wrapping thing. Don't mind me. Yeah. So hopefully things are. I mean, my kid's sick now. So yeah. One thing after another. I got a wedding next week. I, I guess you're you're probably ba- or cat sitting or cats. We're gonna say babysitting or cats. They are really babies. That up, but they, they are, are babies. babies. Yeah. How long are you gone? Um. It's just like leaving Thursday. Uh, in the evening, and then coming back on Sunday. Okay. I think Nora's leaving Thursday, coming back Monday or something. Probably going to play Alan Wake 2 while Nora's gone, because I haven't wanted to play that while she's around, because she's playing Alan Wake 1 pretty soon, for Journal Updated. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't have fucking anything to talk about, and I'm, like, fine with that right now, you know? I feel like the last two stairwells, I was pretty, like, hand-wringing about the content, and I, like, you would think that for as little as I have to talk about this week, I'm still feeling that way, but I'm like, ah, you know, life just happens sometimes. Yeah. You hyperfixate on things that you can't really talk about on a... that you don't really want to talk about on a podcast. There's nothing to say about, oh, yeah, I... 
went on a torrent website and I found a big stack of all the West End games, uh, Star Wars RPGs, and was talking to Nora about those. Of like, we're not going to play this, but do you want to look at the art together? <laughs> you know, there's nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you know, actually, that is a thing we should do a podcast about, as we've discussed, but um, after Dragon Raiders, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. You want to get into the podcast? Sure. Make a mark. The ceremonial mark. Podcast, 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 podcast. Yeah. Hi, friends. Welcome back to Ornate Stairwells. Podcast, podcast, podcast. I'm Autumn. I'm joined as always by Nia. Is this the take? Yeah. With all the podcast, podcast, podcast? Yeah, 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 yeah. We just okay. recorded the worst non-homophobia song we've ever done. I was like, the energy was just at like a one. And I've just, I'm going to sort of force of will myself to a nine on the energy. Yeah. <coughs> that was bad. Yeah, I figured we could just do another take. <laughs> Do leave that in somewhere. Maybe not at the start of the episode, you know, but the, do... the very end of the non homophobia <laughs> zone, whatever we keep. We'll make another mark. Podcast, podcast, podcast. <laughs>